Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Behind the Set List, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. In this episode, we talk to the amazing singer-songwriter Ani DeFranco. But first, let's pause and say thank you to our Behind the Set List listeners for your feedback and being early supporters through the first three episodes. Keep the comments coming. Be sure to like and follow the podcast wherever you listen. Reach out on Twitter or the Label Logic website. Links are in the podcast description. And continue to share with your friends, please. Yes, please. We really appreciate it. You can listen to our first episodes with Andy Grammer, Ann Wilson from Heart, Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears, and now the groundbreaking Ani DeFranco. And there isn't anyone else like Ani. She's a fiercely independent artist with her own record label, Righteous Babe, who embodies the spirit of the do-it-yourself musician since 1990. Ani's released over 20 studio albums, a handful of EPs, and many live albums, and she's toured incessantly over those years. She's released her latest album, Revolutionary Love, in 2021, and started a U.S. tour on June 21st in San Diego that will take her up the West Coast in late June and early July to the East Coast in late July and across the Midwest, and then to Colorado by mid-August, and then a date in Mexico on August 30th. Yeah, Ani talks about how she creates her set list each night. She has such an amazing body of work to draw from when she's creating those set lists. It may be surprising for some fans to learn just how long she's been doing this. Her album Living in Clip just received a 25th anniversary reissue. It was great to talk to her about some of the songs she plays live, although one song in particular she may not be playing live this time around, and that's a song about gun violence called To the Teeth she released in 1999. Yeah, I think some of our listeners will be really moved by that part of the conversation. Not all of the interview was heavy. I enjoyed hearing about her influences and how she realized one day the impact that her father's record collection ended up having on her. Yeah, I particularly enjoyed seeing her dog Lefty sleeping behind her. And I also enjoyed sharing a personal story with her about how her words have impacted so many artists and fans alike. So without further ado, here's Ani DeFranco on Behind the Set List. Let it roll. Ani, welcome to Behind the Set List. Thanks for joining us. We're happy to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. So on this podcast, we talk to people about the songs they play live and why they choose them and the stories behind them. And, you know, we took a look at your latest show, um, May 21st at the Mid-City Bayou Boogaloo Festival, 
which might not be totally representative of you know what you're going to be doing on your upcoming tour. Um, you were solo at that show. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I was supposed to have a band, but I got COVID like the week before. I didn't even know if I was going to be well enough to play. And my band that were going to fly in and play with me were like, yeah, maybe we'll stay home. So it ended up being a solo hit. So, Ani, take, just to set the stage, I'd love for you to take us inside your process of creating set lists. Yeah, um, it's. I really uh, spend a lot of time on it. It's re- weird how much time I spend on it. I do it generally the day of show, unless I know I'm going to be so busy for days that I won't have those hours in the afternoon to mull it over because I got to go do this radio thing and I got to go da 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 da. So I'll plan ahead. Or if I have like a cluster of shows in a small geographical area and I know the audience is going to be at all of them, you know, <laughs> then. I'll plan ahead in order to make, you know, the shows different, you know, um, for those people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I wake up, I, I, I pour myself some green tea and I go into my dressing room and I, I start divining the spirits of the day and the place and the, where I'm at and, and trying to put it together. And it, it's very much based on the room you know, the architecture, is it a rock club where people are standing? Is it a plush seated theater? Is it small? Is it large? Is it inside? Is it outside? Those things dictate uh, the vibe of the set right off the bat. What's the difference between a festival? If it's, um, I mean, the Bayou Boogaloo, I think the tickets were $45, right? This is not a big, huge, it was more of a, a benefit show. Um, versus something seated where people are there for you and maybe an opener only not out in the sun what's the what's the difference how do you build a set differently yeah well the seated theater i mean it just settles the energy you know people people are comfortable people are relaxed so that's when i can pull out my more intimate material you know cuz the 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 setting is conducive to taking it really far down, you know, and being really subtle and being really quiet sometimes, you know, and delivering that side of my music. You know, if you're outside and people are standing in the pounding sun and there's four other stages that you can hear the bleed from and, you know, and people have been on their feet for hours and they're all thirsty and sunstroked, that would not work. You know, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta give them shit that they, that they are familiar with that, you know, the song, I mean, I don't have any radio hits, but I have, my audience has their own hits of mine that they um, have taken to heart and, you know, yeah, just playing upbeat stuff and keeping the energy moving so that people can hopefully forget how tired they are and how much their feet hurt. Do you ever change it up on the fly? Like you, you've prepared a set list, but because of the vibe of the room or somebody maybe yells a request or you just feel a different mood, do you ever just change it up? I do. I do. I have a lot of tunings. I have a lot of open tunings on my guitar. 
So it's, it ain't like talking about it. You know, I, there's some, I usually have to, when my guitar tech is handing me a guitar, I say, okay, two songs from now, I'm not going to play hubba hubba. I'm going to play wudda wudda, you know, so that they can get me to the right tuning. Um, I do play in standard tuning now and then. And so, and a lot of my oldest material is standard tuning before I started getting really, you know, becoming a tune, open tuning fetishist. So I can, sometimes if I'm handed a standard tuning guitar, I can just whip out a super old song on the fly. And that's kind of fun. The two songs you play most frequently over the years as seen on Setlist FM, Shameless and Gravel, both upbeat, um, feisty, raucous, um, more the songs that you would play at amphitheaters, festivals, or is this good for any setting and you're going to play them no matter what, indoors, outdoors, seated, not seated? Yeah, I mean, those are popular songs with my audience and they're super hard hitting, you know, um, Shameless is real danceable the way we do it now and Gravel is just full frontal uh, you know, it ends with me screaming till I sort of turn blue and fall over <laughs> and pass out. So it makes a good show closer. Those are closers, you know. Um, so, you know, there's not a lot of songs that, you know, those are just like the peak of energy songs. So those kind of anchor the at the end of the set a lot. Yeah. One of the songs you played uh, recently was To the Teeth. You know, you released that in 1999, pre-Columbine, you know, which is about gun violence. And and the show was before the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, uh, but fewer than two weeks after a mass shooting in your hometown, uh, Buffalo. It's such a powerful song. Here's what I suggest we do. Open fire on Hollywood. Open fire. How will you introduce this and play this when you when you do it live now? Um, I don't know. I don't know what role that song is going to play on my upcoming tours because if I don't know if my audience feels as I do, I imagine a lot of people do, because that's one thing I've discovered in my life in music is I'm not alone, you know, in in what I feel, what I experience. And for people who have been hoping for and fighting for and pushing for gun regulation for so long and seen instead this slide towards complete insanity, um... It's just heavy. It's, you know, you know, I think when I wrote the song, you know, as you say, in 1999 or it already seemed like an epidemic of violence, of gun violence and, and a very discernible pattern and some very common sense uh, political and legal measures were already past due so, but to play that song then, it was like a rallying cry. Like, are you kidding me? Like, let's, you know, 20 years later, 
or whatever it's been. Yeah. So it's it's debilitating. It's emotionally debilitating how much further in the wrong direction we have allowed ourselves to go. We have allowed politicians to take us. So I honestly feel like, you know, to pull that song out live right now is to just put us all in a state of hopelessness, you know, and, and desperation. So I don't know that's going to, you know, it's just so, uh, un inappropriately poignant right now <laughs> that I just don't know what role, you know, I mean, we are being faced as a society with so much political regression, so, so many terrifying developments. And I think, you know, my shows, you know, one purpose that they serve is it's a place to gather and feel not alone, feel hopeful, feel in community, connect with your joy. You know, if you're a person struggling against big issues and, and, uh, you know, uh, to, to make change. So, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to get too heavy, um, in a way that it feels like there's no air in that room or that room or that room anymore, you know, cause here is one moment we have to feel uplifted, to feel connected, to feel a sense of possibility. So it's a, it's a delicate line to walk for me. How do you think about, about your role on stage for a song like that, whether it's that or whether it's something else, something, uh, of a statement song or a, a song that might have a social impact or it's some kind of impact on, on people. Do you play an, an activist on stage? Um, do you think of yourself as purely an entertainer? Can you wear both hats when you're kind of thinking about what to play for people at a show? Um, well, I know that I don't think of myself as an entertainer. I hate that. I hate that's the that's the worst feeling to me to feel like I'm a thing to be watched, you know, um, for me, performing is much more about connecting, not not being observed or watched or judged or like a, you know, a sort of passively like you would a TV or a screen or. For me, the the thing that I love about performance is being a a conduit, a connection point between people, you know, um, to, to make that connection with the audience. That's what's super inspiring to me. Um, do, and, and I guess to the extent that I am an activist, that's just inherently who I am, you know, what I, I, I feel very deeply and very personally, um, political and social things, dynamics, power dynamics, uh, uh, modes of oppression and, and disunity and, and disempowerment. Like these things, uh, I, I get as worked up about as people do, you know, love relationships and, and he said, she said, and, and you heartbreak and, you know, all of the more common subject matter of songs. So, so when that comes through my work or through what I say on stage, it's just because it needs an outlet, you know, like anything in, in my art. It, it, it's got to, I got to get it out. 
I've noticed that about your live shows, and it's it's actually quite joyful the way that you interact with the audience, and it's a, a dialogue, it's a collaboration, it's you're feeding off their energy and you're making comments, which I think is amazing, off of their energy, which, you know, it builds it in the room. I noticed that in a recent show, um, kind of in the middle of the show, you played Recoil, you played Educated Guests, and it kind of, I don't know, it kind of calm things down a little bit is that by design do you do you tend to kind of have a middle that slows things down a little bit so you can build back up or was that just by chance yep no you got it that's set list 101 you you pass (laughs) you you (laughs) you get promoted that's the big science you know it's like you come out big you 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 know you pound space for yourself to get a little more intimate as intimate as you can get depending on the scene and then you leave big again you know that's pretty much what I do you know because there's just an inherent energy in like seeing each other for the first time in a long time ah you know you scream you (laughs) hug so you know I've often uh just been sort of very struck by people who come out and, you know, s- s- launch with like the navel gazing and, the you know, into something really slow. And it's like, I-, I can't imagine doing that, you know, because but I think that that's indicative of like a more theatrical approach to the performance, which is also cool. Um, my approach, I think, because I started as a folk singer and playing on the street and playing it's I'm not thinking of a show as a piece of theater. I'm walking out onto a platform as a person, Ani, and I'm just in the moment, you know? So, you know, I remember uh, my drummer, Andy Stachansky of many years, he had a lot of sort of theater in his uh, sensibility. And he would, he was always coming up with these ideas. What if we come out, with just a hand, two hand drums, and we're just backlit, and we just, uh, and uh, and then when you hit that note, you know, red lights come on, and, you know, I do a somersault, or, you know, it's just like, uh, okay, sure. I mean, I just sort of would start playing a song, or I don't know, say hi, you know, so there's different approaches to what a show is. Um, but I think for me, I just follow the natural flow of like organic human interaction, which is hello. Oh my God. Okay. So check this out. I can't, I got to tell you what happened. And then, okay, goodbye. You alluded to, um, something earlier that you take into consideration that you have fans following you from date to date. How often do you see that happening or What's your knowledge? Because when you're building a set list, hopefully, as a fan, I say this, hopefully, you're thinking, boy, Glenn might be at the next five shows. I can't do the same show for five five nights in a row, so I'm going to mix this up. And, and what's going through your head when you're thinking about the people who are going to come back night after night? They do enter my head a lot. It's a very acute form of pressure because <laughs> people totally, I mean... I still, there are peeps who will follow a whole tour, you know, 
And I know that because I can see them right in the front every night. And I know them after a while. And, you know, and the crew knows them. And uh, eventually, you know, a number, a, a number of years of this and we're friends. And, you know, so, but that is, that is the, that's the pressure point for me. Like, you know, you can't. You got to make it new every night in some way, in some way. Or I feel embarrassed in front of those people and I feel guilty and I feel, you know. So, you know, I try to strike that balance between playing what me and the band are grooving on, playing the songs that are new and, you know, uh, prescient to the new records or the whatever, playing uh, some of the songs that are favorites so that people can get get off, you know, and do their dancing and they're singing along and yet make it different enough for the repeat offenders. <laughs> I, I wanted to tell you about, you know, one of my favorite bands is, um, they're called The Accidentals, and I saw them at the City Winery in Nashville. And Sav Bice told this amazing story about how she heard you at Folk Alliance being interviewed by Ann Powers. And she said the story from the stage and she said, Ann asked you a question and your response began with beyond the eyes and the trains and the angels. Uh, she quickly tapped those words into her phone and later wrote and released an amazing song called uh, city view. And I just wanted to, I wanted to tell you about that, but also just to reiterate that you have a profound impact on people with your words and your music and that must be humbling at times. It's, it's amazing. It's really beautiful, you know, uh, to discover as each day and each year goes by more and more and more points of connection that my songs, and I guess sometimes just myself in the world that, that, that I've been able to make with people. Um, and I love... I love the stories. Like, I, yeah, I just went and heard this girl play the other night, um, and she was amazing. She was great. Uh, Kristen Ford. I thought she was great. And um, I just happened to be in Provincetown, and she was playing a little show, and I thought I'd check her out. And she cites me as uh, the person who made her... Uh, yeah, decide to become a musician. And she played a song uh, that night that name checks me, you know, and, wow. but it's just these, uh, there's so many of those moments to be had when you're offering yourself through music or otherwise, you know, when you're showing yourself and putting yourself on the line and, and you make these connections and sometimes with the most unlikely people that I find especially titillating, you know, when somebody of a very different make and model comes from a very different place in the world and goes, ah, I heard you, you know, that's, it's just, um, so hopeful. What about the artists that, that you look up to and that if, if that was going to be you from a stage, who would you be talking about? One artist that you've covered from time to time is Woody Guthrie. You've done Prince recently, Beatles, um, some covers you've dropped into your set list. Are these the are these the influences the the people who shape you most? Oh man, my influences are so many. Um, 
that I could hardly begin. I mean, uh, uh, writing uh, my memoir, which took a couple of years of like sitting and staring into space, was very helpful in this arena because I feel like I discovered some of my influence. It took me, you know, people always ask, as you do, which is cool, you know, like how about name check some people that have, you know, taught you about the game. Um, and, and I've always felt like, duh, duh, you know, and it, and it really did take two years of thinking about it before I arrived at and, and checking out myself and looking at myself and going, Oh, I see in the beginning, you were very influenced by Suzanne Vega. Listen to you. Look at you. I mean, that makes sense because I knew her and I, she stayed at my house when I was a kid and, um, then I discovered, oh, yeah, Joan Armatrading. Wow, yeah, I played those records a lot as a young pup. Um, John Martin, I discovered, he's an English song, singer, songwriter, guitar player, fabulous. I realized, oh, I heard as an adult that album of his called Solid Air, and I, I knew every note. I had listened to that so much as a teenager. It's a part of my DNA. I remember hearing John Fahey, you know, this sort of um, outsider uh, acoustic guitar player, um, street character. Uh, and I heard his music as an adult and I heard myself clear as day. And I didn't realize. And then I looked him up and I saw all the album covers and they were all familiar to me. And I realized, oh, my dad had those records. My dad had every single John Fahey record. And that's like the, that's the foundation of my guitar playing. I didn't realize till, you know, he came back to me, you know, 40 years later and it's like, oh, you know, so there's just, and it goes on and on from there. I mean, I've gotten very into jazz and I love Thelonious Monk. I think Miles Davis really influenced my sense of, you know, these are not people whose tunes I can cover, <laughs> but they're in there, you know. Um, Betty Carter, a jazz singer, I think she really influenced my singing. Your influences aren't always musicians. Um, revolutionary love. I'd love for you to uh, talk a little bit about what was the influence behind that and how did that come to be? Yeah, cool. I mean, um, that song started as a direct sort of commission, I guess you could say, of my friend Valerie Kaur, who is a civil rights activist and a writer and a lawyer and um, filmmaker. And uh, she was working on this book uh, about revolutionary love, um, the way she sees it and describes it. And she asked me if I could try to translate some of what she's putting out there into song. And so that's, I, I actually wrote her three songs and that one I felt was spoke so much to my own mission and my own work and my own life. It was uh, kind of became my mantra as well. So I, 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 you know, I was like, is it okay if I put this on my record, <laughs> you know, cause I was just writing these songs and offering them to her, uh, for her own purposes. Um, yeah, I will bring the love, the revolutionary love. I will bring the love, 
and that became the centerpiece of my new record because I think there was a lot about the way she talks about revolutionary love and and what it is and and how you do it that I, you know, saw myself reflected. And and it's so helpful, you know, to have others articulate things about yourself that, you know, make them become real. Uh, Once somebody else gives you the words uh, for for who you are or what you're doing or what you're trying to do or what you're reaching for, um, then it it becomes easier to become it, to know it, to 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 get there. So, her words were enlightening to me, and and I think kind of showed me a different way of looking at my own purpose. Beautiful. You know, recently you had been playing as a trio, and this show that we were talking about, you were you were on stage by yourself. When you're out on tour coming up, uh, what's the band on stage? Are you are you back to a trio? Back to a trio for the next few runs, at least. And is this with Todd and Terrence? Yes. Tell us about playing with them, because you it, it must be great to work with some amazing musicians like that. Oh, it's it's so great. <laughs> I mean, I love playing solo. I love that kind of super one on one vibe with the audience. And I think uh, in those moments, I tend to talk more. I might start launching in and saying shit in the middle of a song. You know, I might just stop. I might just turn left at Albuquerque. You know, I mean, there, there's a kind of a freedom to that. But there's also a very different kind of freedom playing music with badass musicians and good friends, you know, and... Um, Todd and Terrence are both amazing and inspiring to me. So that's an incredible blessing to be able to be getting fed, you know, while you're also offering things to people. You're feeding others, you're getting fed. It's all, you know, flowing around and through everybody. And, um, you know, I, I've i also been really blessed. I think Todd and I have played together for pushing 20 years now. And Terrence, maybe 10. Um, wow. And there's different levels that you get to with each other, like in any relationship, you know. Um, it, it was great right from the beginning with both of them. But there's after three years, after five, eight, 10, 20 years, there's just a whole other thing that you can do. Now I find that we are so connected with each other and so intuitive that it doesn't, there isn't that sort of ramping up period on tour. Like the first few shows, ah, you're kind of missing each other and you don't quite, I mean, maybe there's a little bit of that, but much more every year. It's like you could show up after six months off the road, a festival, no sound check, nothing is working right, and boom, there it is. You know, you just locked. And that's just, there's nothing like that joy to have between myself and other musicians. It's really, it's really a thrill. So as we wind down, I I wanted to make sure that I asked you about poetry and in particular, my IQ. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and how sometimes you incorporate this powerful, beautiful uh, poem or any poetry into your sets? 
Yeah. Um, I used to be a real poetry freak and pull out a lot of poems on stage. Now, sometimes I have to remind myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, my IQ is, is a poem that hinges at this place. I was sort of writing from a lot as a young person, which is to just question, you know, something like an IQ test. Um, it's a very subjectively constructed thing by a certain kind of person testing a certain kind of per, uh, intelligence according to their particular perspective, right? You know, and you can sort of, I think a lot of what I was doing in my early songs, at least, was unpacking a lot of that. Like, what about this other perspective or this other kind of perspective or this other intelligence? Or what about things that you, the the determiner of IQ never thought of, don't know about, never, you know. Um, so I think that that poem was meant, you know, to question the foundations of our presuppositions, you know, which I think for a lot of people and certainly in my audience, people who are connecting with my work, it was like, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, I'm so worried all this time about living up to standards and being measured on scales that are not of me. You know, I'm, I'm trying to measure up to somebody else's idea of, 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 of weight and mass and size and depth and breadth. And I, and I have a whole other system of measurement that's, you know, um, not being included. So, yeah, um, I mean, and I do, poems are really awesome in their freedom. You know, you're not sticking to meter, you're not sticking to rhyme schemes, you know. So in that sense, you can really kind of launch with concepts in a way that sometimes a song can constrict. You're working on set lists for upcoming show. You've, you've showed us a little slate it looked like with uh you have a sharpie out and a dry erase board maybe and um how much what can you say about that is there a lot of new material is it um kind of a, a career retrospective what what's your approach here um i would say yes and yes and um uh yes and and um yeah some of the I, I do this Patreon thing now um, where I have subscribers that I send two recordings a month to and I correspond with. And it's been a really cool alternative way to share music and connect with people that doesn't involve me leaving my kids and getting on planes and living in hotels. Um, so it's a real cool development and I asked them I asked my patrons what do you want to hear on these upcoming tours three songs keep it to three <laughs> you know three each you get three <laughs> wishes each um and the requests were all over the map I love that really? about my audience all over the map you and this is something I know about my audience because when people shout out things live it's never the five songs that you think it's it's left field one after the other 
And um, so it, that was the case with the responses I got from my patrons. And I made a list and I checked it twice. And I've mm-hmm. been, you know, some of the songs I I pulled out at, at the Bayou Boogaloo, you know, Educated Guests, Recoil that you mentioned. Um, you know, those were patron requests that I just went and relearned recently. And there's some other ones that I'm working on, Willing to Fight and... Um, you know, all righty and animal and um, what else? There's a bunch of there's a bunch of things that filtered in from the patrons that I'm, you know, once again, I can reach into my bag of old songs and pull out uh, like new <laughs> things and put them on. And I, it feels like I went shopping. What a great way to to solicit feedback. It gives you an opportunity to practice rather than listen on stage and try to hear what people are saying and you're going to get requests for those Japanese B-sides or whatever people want that you haven't played in 15 years. Yeah, it is. I've been really, I've, I'm scared of social media. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't go there really myself, um, only vicariously. Um, so Patreon has become my sort of, my version of that where I can interact one-on-one, but the environment is chill, supportive, mutually respectful. Um, and so it, I do, I have been really loving getting that sort of one-on-one feedback with audience members in that format. Ani, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to talk with us. It's just been such a fantastic conversation Uh, We really appreciate you uh, coming on and talking with us. Uh, Well, likewise. Pleasure's mine. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Appreciate the time. Love the conversation. All right, you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Ani. Have a great day. You too. All right. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.